Hello and welcome to an extra edition of the Hotcast. As usual, I'm James Rushton here to talk about all things Aston Villa with a difference. I'm joined by John McKenzie today. Of course, we're here to speak about Leeds versus Aston Villa, a massive match taking place on Sunday. How are you doing, John? Yeah, I'm really good. How are you? I'm excited, man. Um, I think we have went, went through the motions before we spoke before the, the this recording and you've said it must be, feel good to win 10 games in a row. And like this is like a position of massive privilege I'm always speaking from like this football fan who's seen his team win 10 games in a row like I don't it's not like it's even impacted me yet I haven't really you know felt anything but I guess that situation um would be a situation many football fans would be wishing for such as you know maybe Leeds United after Christmas it seems to have gone not fully downhill I think a lot of people are doing the whole quote-unquote burnout thing for Leeds Mm. but We'll speak about that later. How are you feeling as a Leeds United fan in general? <laughs> well, as a Leeds United fan, yeah, I've seen better days. But I'm just looking through your um, results actually, and for the season and the ten games prior to the the four nil win that you had a derby that sort of kick started this run of games uh, was preceded by ten games where you only won once, and that was against Ipswich, who were, were rock bottom and still are. So, um, yeah, it's been an incredible run for you guys. Uh, for us, it's been pretty much the opposite. Um, it's been a tale of two halves of the season. And um, in many respects, I think we've been found out. Um, and so we're sort of scraping our way over the line to the uh, to the end of the season. And it's looking very much like we're going to get playoffs now. And uh, we're, I, can, I can assure you our fan base is terrified of uh, playing you in the playoff final. So there you go. That's, the, that's where, where Leeds fans are at, at the moment. We'll probably be having this conversation then, uh, which would come the end of the season, well, the last game of the season. Uh, it looks like a realistic situation. We could both be playing yet again. But um, from the outside looking in, you look at Leeds's table position, third. What was your expectation at the start of the season with Bielsa coming in? I think there was a lot of mixed feelings, maybe. I think a lot of people, certainly the traditional English manager, people who support that type of character, probably thinking that Bielsa could blow up or there could be a situation there where he doesn't fit in and moves on. But that doesn't seem to have been the case. It seems like a perfect match from the outside looking in. And maybe Leeds are the third best team finishing third. Would that be true or is there just much more disappointment? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously with all of these things, the context matters. If if you were to have said this at the beginning of the season, that we would be third and um, and in with a good shout of, of promotion through the playoffs, which I think we still are, all things considered. Um, I think most people obviously would have taken that no problem, but yeah, it's the manner of the second half of the season in particular, really. We've had a few nice runs, but even when we've had nice runs uh, over a few games, it's always felt a little bit stretched. There's been very few games really where we felt as though we're comfortably winning. Um, And so I think it's been a, it's been a good season. I think the frustration will be that we, we've we've, we've had so many chances to sort of consolidate a position at the, in the automatic promotion spots and we've just let it go. And I think as well, the sort of nature of the defeats that we've suffered recently have been frustrating be- precisely because um, we've lost four times. Um, the last four times we've lost anyway, the, each one of those defeats has been with the majority of control, majority of possession, um, the, 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 well, the advantage in terms of ex- expected goals and so I think there's a frustration on the part of Leeds fans that actually what we've done here despite the fact that we've 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 not slipped up 
tactically, as it were, we've just not made the most of the position that we've been in tactically. And so there's that frustration um, there for us too, that that actually we we could very well have been speaking at this point with Leeds almost guaranteed promotion through the automatic spaces and it hasn't um, gone through that way. So it's, yeah, it's the, it's the frustration that comes from being a team who are playing well, um, but that haven't quite managed to, to pull off what, what most of the fans um, expected. So it's an interesting kind of scenario. Really, I mean, you get the typical trope that Leeds have fallen apart and you hear it. I think I heard it sung in the Manchester Derby mm. um, yesterday for, um, for a brief period, which is um, pretty telling of where United are right now. Mm. But um, there's a lot of conversation or talk with, you know, I've, se- I've seen it in the Aston Villa fan base, some people who don't know who Leeds are, who, what they've been doing, um, who wouldn't have seen Bielsa, wouldn't have heard of him before this season until the hype came in. He said, oh, it's typical burnout, typical Bielsa, stuff like that. So I wanted to have a, a small conversation because I know you've kind of confronted this topic or at least talked about it a few times, this um, whole quote-unquote Bielsa burnout. Is it real? Because from the outside looking in again, from my perspective, it just seems like maybe it's just more of an emotional thing rather than Leeds getting tired because of the intense way they play. Because, you know, Norwich and Sheffield United still play quite intensely and as do Villa and, you know, they aren't being tarnished with that brush. Yeah, it's it's certainly not a a physical burnout. I've been to a pretty much the last three four games uh, and it doesn't to me it doesn't look like they're tired if there is any if there is any burnout it is emotional whatever that means and it's, it's impossible obviously to um to quantify that sort of thing but as soon as the goal went in uh, at Brentford the players heads certainly dropped and um Marcelo Bielsa was the most animated I'd seen him on the touchline so there's clearly there's clearly um a knock-on effect, I think, of of being in those scenarios where you deserve to win on the balance of play, and it's not coming off. And then, as soon as a goal goes in, I think heads drop, and you think, "Well, here we go again." Um, in terms of the the burnout, uh, yeah, it's it, there's a few things I would say. One of them, one of these things is, look, this is a Leeds United squad that has barely been strengthened across the, the uh, across the course of the summer last year, um, and it finished 13 the season before, and many of the same players who are playing i mean for the first however many games of the season which was our which was our strongest um um run in the in the in the league the only player that we'd brought in who was um hadn't played the season before was was Barry Douglas and so we, were, we he was essentially playing exactly the same team that had played the season before finished 13 and had got them to the top of the table quite comfortably so on the one hand i think when when you're talking about something like burnout you have to remember that in many respects, this is a huge, uh, huge overperformance on the part of Leeds. And whenever you look at any of the the teams that he's at, where people claim that there's been some kind of burnout, there's a similar thing. I think the, the classic case is Athletic Club, <clears throat> where they get to the end of the season and they uh, they lose the Copa del Rey final um, to Barcelona and they lose the Europa League final to Atletico Madrid. And as, as a result of that, there's, there's some claims that Bielsa teams burn out when really what's happened in that scenario is a, is a, a massive overperformance. So on the one hand, yes, you know, there's a sense in which this Leeds, Leeds team, despite the fact that they should have probably got um, automatic promotion from the situations they were in, uh, if you consider the fact that they had to be a Wigan side that were down to 10 men and were a goal down already, things like that, yes. Um, 
there's an underperformance here and disappointment. But at the same time, this is, as you said before, you know, this is a huge overperformance on the part of Leeds. The other thing I would say, though, is that um, if you compare the statistics from the first half of the season with the second half of the season, um, it's just it's an incredible change around. Every team uh, played Leeds the second time round. Every team playing Leeds the second time round were a lot happier to sit back, try and hit them on the counter-attack. They were happy to cede possession um, and they were happy to absorb pressure. Um, and despite the fact that Leeds had all of this control of the ball, they weren't able to convert that into into a hu- uh, hugely impressive um, uh, advantage in terms of produc- production. So um, with, the, with them ceding more possession, you'd expect Leeds to have had uh, more and better chances. And Whilst there were more chances, they they often weren't better chances. So I think there's a sense as well in which Bielsa teams, because he's famously um, critical of, well, like, famously reticent to to um, develop a, a sort of plan B, because he says if your plan A isn't good enough, why is it your plan A? I think part of the reason why there might be some kind of momentum behind the Bielsa burnout idea is simply that that tactically when teams come around to play them again in the second half of the season they have a much better approach to to the game and I think that's what we've seen really in in the second half of the season which would be why I would think that we've maybe suffered a little bit in the second half. Marcelo Bielsa he's brought obviously quite a lot to Leeds uh, 22 points above well they've got 22 more points than they did at this point last season where, where they finished last season actually they're going to finish at the very least with a playoff place um would you have taken that playoff place if you had promised you at the start of the season without knowing kind of the journey you'd go through this season? Yeah, certainly at the beginning of the season. I mean, I thought when you hear so much stuff about the way the Bielsa team has burned out and um, and there's that expectation that Leeds may do well, but at some point there is going to come to reckoning. Then, yeah, I think for me, the fact that we've still got a chance in the playoffs is, is, is exciting. Um, but again, context is everything and there's so many... There's so many things about the the current situation that that worry me a little bit. I mean, part of which I've just said, the fact that we've we've lost all momentum that we had. Uh, clubs seem to have figured us out a little bit. That there's teams like Villa in the playoffs who do have um, that that momentum, which I, I think in, when it comes to the the playoffs, a lot is made of momentum, and it doesn't really mean a huge amount. But if you were given the chance of being a team like Leeds going into the promo, uh, into the playoffs with with a, a really sort of poor second half of the season versus Villa, who've gone in with, like you say, ten games in the in the row um, one, then I know which team I'd rather be. So, um, yeah, let's wait and see. I, I'm hoping that we can get. Look, everything is set up to be to be sort of um, narrative heavy for Leeds, right? There's the chance that we could have Derby in the in the semi-finals of the of the playoffs, which I think will be nervy and and probably a little bit too. Uh, meaning laden but I would uh, yeah I'm looking to for us to get through those two games and then anything can happen in the final of course and the finals always end up being tetchy affairs so you know when it comes to it I think it will be very much a 50-50 chance for whoever's in the final and and sometimes it can be it can be um, gutting and it just doesn't go your way so yeah I'm 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 trying to remain positive I have a lot of Leeds friends who I think were so set on this idea that we were going to get automatic promotion or at least so convinced of the fact, and, and I don't buy this at all, that, that Leeds just, Leeds, Leeds have never won a playoff final. 
uh, which is the fact that it gets trotted out by all Leeds fans as though we've been in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But um, I think I think there's two playoff finals, one in League One, one in the Championship that we've lost. So I, I think that's probably overstated. But at the same time, I think all of Leeds fans were so convinced that we were going to go up automatic promotion um, that that they they sort of view the playoffs very negatively. But for me, for the last month or so, I've just I've just been kind of consigned to the fact that um, we are going to go through the playoffs. And so um, I'm kind of, I, I, the way I look at it is that I would rather Leeds got these poor results out of the way now uh, and then sort of approach the playoffs with a little bit more of a positive mindset being like, right, okay, now we know what we have to, we have to do. Let's get on with it and do it. Um, but there's, there's clearly some kind of uh, negative headspace going on at Leeds to a certain extent because there's been stuff in the press coming out about Bielsa saying he's struggling to control the players emotionally. And I do think that, again, this comes back to what I was saying before, you know, there's none of these players, these players are all solid club professionals who've never really been in positions where they've had to go through this experience of, of chasing, um, chasing league spots. Um, again, these are, these are players who haven't been in the uh, position of having to um, go through a playoff system as well, but hopefully uh, the experience of of missing out on automatic promotion will stand them in good stead, at least um, psychologically for the for the playoffs. But we'll, we we wait and see. I wanted to know from you, John, who was the Leeds player who's had the who's gained the most from Bielsa, who has really turned their time at Leeds around due to the the influence of the mm. the master himself. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's hard to answer that question because one of the things that one of the things that I say about um, Bielsa to, to people who talk to me about him, is, at least tactically, is that so much of what Bielsa does is is based on this idea that you you try to get as much out of the group as possible, and and part of the benefit that you get is that you you are able to motivate a group of players together so that they become greater than the sum of their parts. Um, so it's it's hard to say necessarily like which individuals have done well there are certain individuals who've um thrived in the system uh but you don't know whether or not it's because of he him um mentoring them individually or whether or not the fact that this system just naturally suits certain players so i think if you asked most leeds fans they'd probably say calvin phillips um i would i would probably disagree with this i think calvin phillips is has had a he's had an okay season he plays as a Central midfielder, defensive central midfielder, pretty much just behind, just in front of the back four, usually behind a couple of midfielders, um, and he plays a very sort of basic role there. I think you know he's sort of he's the last line of defence before the defence, and he plays a couple of. Um, I guess he likes to spray the ball around a little bit, a little bit. He sees himself as a little bit of a championship PLO, but um, in terms of the pl- for the player for me who's really stood out and. Uh, I say this because I'm not entirely sure how much of the impact Bielsa's had on him because we only signed him this season. There's Adam Forshaw who plays in the same position, um, but the the system really seems to suit him well. Um, every, he's he's one of those sorts of players that can that can really um, work well within a Bielsa system, where, which is all about manipulation of space and rotations and um, uh, and and controlling yeah controlling. Moving the ball from one side of the other to the other, um, pulling in pl- opposition players into a small area, and then um, 
recycling the ball into wider areas on the other side. Just stuff like that. He's he's done really well. Matthias Click as well in the midfield areas has done well. He's he had had a good season last season. He was brought in last season and didn't have a particularly good season, but and and really only came through the system at Leeds this season because um, of, of injuries elsewhere. And so and and since then he's been pretty much um, a, a regular in the team. Um, so he's another player who's 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 um, done well from it. Um, Kimar Roof was was a sort of wide left player um, when he arrived at Leeds from Oxford United. Um, and Bielsa made him into a striker. He was um, he had a really he has a really good understanding of how to manipulate space, and so it's worked out really well for, for us up front. Um, and then I would say Liam Cooper, the centre back, who has has really benefited from the lead system uh, because it's such a possession heavy system. He's good on the ball. He's a little bit more flaky under pressure, and we've seen a few times where his mistakes have cost us goals. But overall, he's he's really benefited from being in that that sort of system. So moving on to Sunday's game as kind of the midsection of the podcast, I wanted you to describe to the Aston Villa fans who are, of course, listening, who would be the man to watch? Who Who is the Leeds player who can cause the most dan- damage to Aston Villa? Who's the danger man? <laughs> well, at the moment, it feels like not, not very many of them. Um, but, I mean, Pablo Hernandez is always our creative fulcrum. Um, so he's always the one to watch, but um, he plays in a wide right position usually we sort of play a we play it depends how opposition sit up set up against us but we tend to play a sort of back four and then a midfielder slightly in front of that back four who drops in in between the center backs on in possession and the fullbacks really get forward um so you essentially end up with a situational back three in those moments and then you have um so you have the fullbacks alongside the, the other uh, another central midfielder, and then you have uh, a front three, and then a, and then a striker. Well, a midfielder in between them, like a sort of ten, and then a, and then a front three, so two wide players. And Pablo Hernandez plays in that wide right role. He likes to drop in. He likes to pick the ball up. Um, a lot of what Leeds do is about build up play from the back, um, particularly building up down the wings. You've got the um, advanced fullbacks, um, and then you have this this tactic which is called um, overload to isolate. So as I said before, you, you sort of um, throw a lot of players into a wide area, move the ball around to try and pull in the opposition players and then uh, have a player on the opposite side that you've you've isolated by doing that. And so you can play the ball into those those players. The other thing they do is they do a lot of rotational work in, and um, in, in the central areas. So you'll see um, you'll see leads moving. Um, you'll see leads players moving around looking for space. And it almost it almost becomes like a. Uh, dance you see one player dropping in another player going forward and there's always the replacement the idea of replacement if a player on on the right hand side comes towards the ball there'll be a player on the left who will uh, go away from the ball to fill the space that they've just um, filled in but again part of the problem that, that Leeds have had is that now teams are just sitting very deep against them and then trying to hit them on the counter attack which means a lot of the the, the benefits that they were getting at the beginning of the season just aren't being made now because the manipulation of space is just not possible because teams are sitting in deep uh, deep banks of, of four and five or four and four uh, and really frustrating leads. So a lot of the creativity comes from Pablo Hernandez. So he'd be the one that I would watch out for. Um, other than that, I don't know. Tyler Roberts, who's playing a sort of 10 role at the moment, can be exciting. He's been... He's been good in certain games. He was brilliant against West Brom. Um, it all depends on how oppositions come out against us. Um, 
So that that would be the what I would say. Pablo Hernandez is the one to watch, but let's just watch him be poor now that I've said that. For my sake, I certainly, well, for Villa's sake, I certainly hope so. Um, I wanted to ask, what have you made of Aston Villa? Because I know we played each other in December. Of course, that was a, a real madcap fixture. Mm. Kind of, you know, the um, it kind of capped Leeds for me. It was like that. That's what Leeds are. And that's what Villa are—a team that can go up and two nil and link seed three and that's the type of team leads eyes the team are down to who can then score three but it seems like not that the roles have so much reversed because i mean villa are on one hell of a streak right now but it also seems that leads have to work so much harder now you know it seems like almost the teams who do try and play out against them are going to get punished but then you look at brentford and the, you know they play some pretty football and it did seem like leads were their own worst enemy in that match the giveaways were just were just killer yeah, uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen too much of, of of Villa recently, other than than highlights reel, highlight reels. Um, but you, your team, I mean, your team is still playing four two three one, roughly, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, the team that will face us, I think, will be quite different. Uh, the will face us at the weekend will be quite different to the team that faced us uh, at Villa Park last time round. Um, so I'll be interested to see how that goes. But I, I'm, it's it's there's certain things that I'm just impressed with about about Villa. The fact that they can play Glenn Whelan in, in midfield and, and and be so successful. Um, but we were lucky last time that we didn't have Grealish. Um, I, I was quite um, effusive about in my praise for Grealish last time I came on the podcast. So he's a player who 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 worries me. Um, and you've you've they've got a lot of players who I who I quite like. I quite like Al Ghazi, for example. He's really impressed me whenever I've seen him this season. Um, Albert Adoma as well, I think, is 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 a dangerous player in the championship. But then I look at your back four now and see that like last weekend you played El Mohamedi, Yedinak, Mings, and uh, Neil Neil Taylor. That's right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that to, to me sort of strikes me as being a very unimpressive. Back four. Now, I say that not meaning to be dismissive, of course, because clearly that you were doing something right. Um, and going forward, you've just got a, a really, really uh, exciting six players going. Well, let's let's dump Whelan from that. But you've got five players exciting going forward. McGinn, um, that that sort of uh, that sort of backbone of the team again, Grealish and Codger is 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 exciting. And then when you've got Al Ghazi and Adoma flanking them. That's that's very much an exciting team, and you get a long way in the championship by having teams that are exciting going forward. So, um, yeah, I I think what what I'm impressed with is the that Dean Smith has has managed to come into the, the 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 club, and he's turned he has turned things around. He's done he's he's done things his way, but he's 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 clearly shuffled up the the starting eleven in his time there, and it's and it's really working well for him. And I don't think there was any surprises. And when he arrived from Brentford, that, that he was going to be good. Um, so it, it's nice to see that kind of thing happening. It's nice to see a club like Villa bringing in a progressive manager and it and it working out for them in the long run. I mean, John, you could say the same for Leeds United, who have brought in, of course, Bielsa. Because not saying that they weren't a credit to the Championship before, but they definitely are now. I mean, Bielsa is a man who comes with a lot of good publicity, and Leeds they have improved their season. I mean despite all the doom and gloom of the current situation, I look at it and I think the fan base is definitely more positive and more optimistic than it has been uh, bar now. Um, the team is in a better position. They seem to be a bit more financially stable. I'm not sure of the ins and outs on that, maybe. But 
I think for, for, what, for what it's worth, I think Leeds are pretty uh, flying high themselves right now. Yeah, and I don't want to sound miserable, of course, but for me, um, you're right. You're entirely right. The club is in a better position right now than it's been in for years. Um, the problem is, is that it feels as though much of that is to do with having Bielsa and we have him on a one plus one year contract, um, which the club can can activate at the end of the the, the summer. And the, the question that I have is, if he goes, where does that leave Leeds? It's certainly, certainly Leeds are in a better position now than they were last year, but that much of that is to do with him. And if he goes, then then where does it leave you? Um, who do you bring in if he goes? Um, if he stays for another year, how are the club going to go about being um, champ, uh, promotion contenders next season? Um, which is the question that, that I think is the most important as, as we're looking at it now. Uh, and if we don't do that and he goes, I just can't see that being the same. I, I, I see, you know, Leeds haven't had, I, I can't even remember how many years it's been since Leeds had a manager who, who lasted over a summer. We've had new managers every season for um, at least half a decade. Um, and so, it, yeah, there's a lot of positivity, but it, I, I, I'm taking it with a pinch of salt because I want to feel as though um, Leeds have got some kind of project and the, the the club isn't just a short-term project, which it has always felt like since since they went down because there was that assumption that it would be easy for them to go back up into the Premier League. Now, promotion isn't everything to me by any stretch. Um, I've I've enjoyed this season very much. I've enjoyed being able to watch good football for the most part. Um, uh, and, and so, yes, of, of course, it, there's lots of things to be positive about. But uh, at the same time, once Bielsa goes, I think it will it, it could be very much in danger of slipping back down into into what it once was. Even if we get promoted and, and he stays with us for a couple of seasons in the Premier League, and do I really think that the, the, the team are going to stay in the Premier League if they go up next season and there's not much money spent on them? I don't know. Um, and I'm sure he'll be off if he feels as though the club aren't doing what they promised him would happen were Leeds to get promoted as well. He's also never... He's never managed a club for longer than two or three seasons, unless he's been um, it's been in the international um, sphere. So, I everything that you say I agree with, but I also have that bitterness in the in the back of my throat, which is knowing that we're not going to have Bielsa forever. And I, I think the real test of whether or not Leeds are, are doing well is is if they can use this as a stepping stone onto some something else. Um, and I, I suspect it probably won't be. I suspect it will be a nice year couple of years which then will be followed by much more of the same old um, I'm afraid so how big is this match on Sunday because Leeds they still are kind of hanging on to the hope of uh, going up automatically and that only really happens if they they can beat Aston Villa so mm-hmm. I guess this match at Ellen Road is, is you know it's one of the biggest games of the season right yeah it'll be an interesting one um, I, I think it's really important for Leeds to come out well and play well uh, more than anything, I think the result is much of a muchness. It would be great to beat you guys, obviously, but uh, I think the 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 problems with the last few games have been that that they've just been frustrating for the fans to watch, and much of that has been to do with the fact that both teams have sat back and defended and then hit on the counter attack, and it just it it doesn't make for a great football for the fans, particularly. Um, but I, th- I think the Villa probably will come out against us a little more than uh, the other t- the, the, the most recent couple of games. Um, the, the sorry, the, the teams that we played in the most recent games. Um, so it could be, it should be a good game, I think. Um, but 
I think yeah. It, as long as Leeds come out and and there's a, there's a sort of there's glimpses, flashes of of what it is that made us makes us so excited about Leeds, then I think that will be a good thing for the fan base because if if and I think the majority of fans now are resigned to the fact we're going through the playoffs. If we're going to go into the playoffs, it would be nice to know that we can compete with teams like Villa, who who likely we will be playing in the playoffs. So I think that's for me anyway. More important than the result is the is the is the manner of the result. Um, if that makes sense. After that kind of really deflating loss to Brentford, I don't want to rub it in too much because <laughs> it was kind of agonising for me as an, a neutral. To, I'm you know as someone who's quite fond of, of Leeds, definitely this season. And to watch it was um, pretty heartbreaking to see the mayor about you know the players in which they carried themselves after the match. Mm-hmm. are all they're all gutted and and devastated and heartbroken. Do you think there'll be many changes from that game? In terms of the, uh, the the lineup, yeah, Bielsa doesn't change things hugely if uh, if if he, if he can help it. So um, I think I don't think that we'll, we'll see. It. Well, obviously Alioski's injured now; he's out for the rest of the season. So we'll probably see Stuart Dallas playing left back, which is what we saw through most of that game. Anyway, um, I'm not entirely sure what Douglas is where Douglas is at. He's he certainly was injured. Um, so I suspect that you'll see exactly the same. Um, um, 11 that, that were playing at half time in the last game. So, what will that be? That will be, um, it'll be Kiko Casillas in goal, Luke Ayling right back, and then Pontus Janssen, Liam Cooper, centre backs, Stuart Dallas left back. And then, yeah, there could be, he could switch between Forshaw and uh, Calvin Phillips. It will very much depend, but he usually doesn't flip them very often. Um, unless one of them gets injured, and given that Forshaw started, I suspect he might start again. But it could be Calvin Phillips, uh, and then it'll be Mateus Click and um, Tyler Roberts in front of in front of him. And then Pablo Hernandez on the right. Um, I guess they'll play Jack Harrison because they've been playing him. But the, again, there's the possibility that Jack Clark could play, although he was very poor when he came on against Brentford, and he's coming back from a virus, so it'll, will very much depend on I don't know he's been a shadow of himself since that virus and it was it was a it was a fairly um I guess it was a fairly impactful virus in insofar as he collapsed on the bench during a game um and he was out for about a month so there's there's clearly some kind of ongoing um impact that that's had on him uh, and then they'll play I think Bamford up front although again Roof could Roof could could theoretically come in um, but that's not what's been happening. Reef has been a little bit um, lacking in match fitness because he's still coming back from an injury that he's had too. So it will be the same. It will be the same team, and it'll be like for like swaps if it's not the, the same team. If that makes sense. So um, I wouldn't be expecting anything out of the blue in terms of tactics. So when Villa line up against Leeds on Sunday, how how do you? I mean, I don't want you to be giving advice to, you know, if Dean Smith's listening, I'm pretty sure he's got it all clued up already. How are Villa beating this this Leeds United team? Yeah, what is the work? What is the the floor? The floor is that when you when you do, you can hit them very very effectively on the counter attack, and that is if you if you isolate the the centre backs and and attack them at speed, they they will give away chances. You'll have seen that happen in the Brentford game. That was how the goals mm-hmm. were scored in the Brentford game. Um, so it's all a question of whether Dean Smith is happy to have his team sit back and then try and hit on the counter attack. You've got the players to do it. Um, you'll, I don't think you'll struggle to to absorb pressure if you if you do sit back. Um, and then it's just about it's about getting the ball forward quickly and isolating players like Liam Cooper 
uh, particularly um, Cooper in the air or then Janssen on the on the floor. Janssen is uh, is a he's a, a emotional player. I think is probably the best way of putting it. Uh, and so he's always up for, for for doing sort of hero creating tackles, which is all fine <laughs> when they when they work out. But if you get a player around him, a quick player around him, then it likely will end up in in, in being a, a card for him and, and the free kick. So that would be what I would do. The fullbacks play play up quite high, so it, it depends. If you can play, if you could play uh, an um, an impressive mid block and and sort of stymie Leeds' build up play, but. Brentford tried to do that and they really couldn't do it. Um, they tried to also build from the back and they couldn't do it because they got turned over very easily. But it's just it is as easy as sort of either finding balls down into the channels when when Leeds have, have had possession uh, long, or or even just running or playing long balls in at their centre backs and picking up the pieces um, and trying to pick up on the second ball there. So, and I'm sure Dean Smith will will know all this and I'm sure he'll be he'll have seen the last few games and all seen the way that Leeds have got dismantled by 10 men Wigan um they're getting two 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 goals from two chances by from from their from their largely double marked striker they he'll know that Leeds have got those uh, defensive frailties when you can isolate the, the, the defenders so um i suspect that might be what we'll see can i get a prediction from you in terms of scoreline then for Sunday's game <sighs> um yeah i think that you'll win and I think that you'll win two nil. Well, that's that's quite quite a statement. What makes you you say that? Um, because uh, I mean, <laughs> I think you have a better team um, first and foremost. Yeah. Okay. Um, especially in terms of like individual player qualities, and obviously Leeds Leeds' thing has been that you can make up for that lack of individual quality by having a team that plays well together. Uh, Leeds aren't playing particularly well together at the moment. And I think they will still be in that um, post-Easter weekend slump that they're in. Um, there's not that much pressure on them to win. Uh, and so in a weird way, I think they'll put a lot of pressure on themselves to win. And I don't think it will go well. I mean, again, as, a new, as an Aston Villa fan, this comes at the worst time for me because I do want Leeds to do well. But that means they kind of... Look, Villa can lose this game quite comfortably and be okay. Okay, but I think you want the momentum, don't you? So, mm. like, I either want Leeds to win and continue doing well, but that comes at the cost of my own team losing, and I can't, I cannot be having that, John. <laughs> unfortunately, um, there's another topic I did want to speak about before we finished, and that is the whole Pablo Hernandez versus Jack Grealish thing. That is kind, of, you know, it's not a massive talking point, I guess, but it's something I've noticed crop up in the whole PFA discussion. You know, when Hernandez is up for something, people are talking about Grealish. When Grealish is up for something, I think he was in the, the PFA team. Um, people speak about Hernandez. Um, when they're both not in anything at all, people are questioning both of their abilities. I wanted to know where you you stood on that because I'm on my own point of view, I think I'd have both of them in the same team. Yeah, no, I'd definitely have them in the same team. Um I mean, Grealish would have made a huge difference for for Leeds. Um, we we've struggled to fill the number ten role since Samu Sai has left. Um, Grealish would have slotted into that role perfectly. We play Pablo Hernandez, as, as I've said, on the on the right, and he drops in uh, and also goes deep. I don't think there would be any. I think they would probably interplay quite well, but I don't think they would be moving into the same areas. So, uh, absolutely, um, play them both in the same team. They should. They're both entirely worthy of places on the PFA team. But I mean. There's been a lot of talk about PFA teams at the moment and 
just to contextualize that, that it's, it's good to remind people that the PFA team is simply a team picked of players um, by players um, according to who they've been impressed with when they've played against them. So there's there's almost no wrong answer for, for who do you think has been the best player that you've played against because you can't tell someone that they're wrong um, because very much their experience is what is being um, validated there by the, by the vote. So um, in terms of teams of the season, I mean, that, again... The problem with teams of the season is that people tend to people tend to just say, well, who do you think are the best defenders? And then they'll pick four. And then you'll say, well, who's going to be the best centre midfielders? What's my midfielders? And then they'll pick three. And then you're like, who are the best forwards? And they'll pick three. Now, there's no mm-hmm. saying whatsoever that those those players will play well together. And so for me, I, I don't really take a huge amount of, of notice of teams of the season in that regard. But I do think it is, it is interesting to see who the players are who... Um, have the have influenced their their op- opponents enough to to say that they were they were good players. So you know, there's been a lot made of Paul Pogba being in the Premier League PFA team, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's an interesting thing. I think as a, as a footballer playing against Paul Pogba is, is clearly a hard thing to do. Um, if you're one on one against Paul Pogba, I think you will notice um, not not just his athleticism, his ability on the ball, his uh, capacity to um, break presses his ability to to um, move the ball around passing and crossing and uh, his creativity like it should be no surprise that that players might necessarily think that he's um one of the best one of the hardest players to play against but I think there's also an element to which you know I think personality comes into it because I find it very hard that to to understand how Eden Hazard hasn't made it onto the PFA Premier League team of the year because so many defenders talk about how hard he is to play against so I wonder whether or not personality uh, comes into it as well and 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 so you have to take all of these things with a pinch of salt but absolutely Grealish and and Hernandez in in the same team would be a frightening prospect I think <laughs> Well, on the final note, John, I'm wanting to get an update on the book. You're currently producing the, uh, what was the, just to remind us, what was the topic and uh, basis of the book you're currently writing? Yeah, so I'm writing a book about Marcelo Bielsa. There's There's been no English language treatments of Bielsa, really. There's a couple of tactics books that sort of br- roughly treat or uh, touch on his, um, his tacticals, um, the tactical side of things, but no one's really covered him in any greater detail than that. And now I'm, um, it's it's not an entirely biographical book, really. Um, I'm looking at Bielsa. I'm looking. I'm trying to do what what I guess if you would call if you work in academia, an intellectual biography, which sounds a lot more wanky than it really is. But um, what I would say is that um, uh, what I would say is that um, rather than just going through this sort of bio, biographical chronology of his life, uh, I'm trying to. Th- look at the the sort of motivations and and aspects of his life that are more interesting um and he he's a fascinating individual as 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 i think most people will well know um so yeah i'm tracing i'm tracing different themes through his life so the first chapter is all about language and his upbringing and and how he finds himself caught between different worlds um so for example his 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 father's side of the family are aristocratic Argentinians his mother comes from a poorer background and had to work hard to become a teacher so he's sort of caught between those worlds and then I talk about the way that you know being being brought up in a in a sort of well-heeled Argentinian family um he he then sort of he wasn't the black sheep of the family by all by all means but he 
he, he went into football, which was a completely different world. And again, he sort of finds himself between those two worlds. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to tr- trace those, those sort of uh, paradoxes and tensions uh, and try and find out what it is about Marcelo Bielsa that, that sort of explains him a bit. I think he's, he's, he's become a little bit of a mysterious figure precisely because people don't really take the time to, to explore him um, that much. So that's what the book is about. Um, and yeah, it's going okay. I'm hoping to get it done by the end of the year, but the, 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 the broader, so the way the book built work works is that I do touch on these different themes. So it's like language mm. legacy. Um, I talk about space because I, I talk about his tactics. Um, so that's all about manipulation of space. I talk about place because it's really important to him, the communities of the clubs around the clubs that he manages. Um, there's something on aesthetics, something on politics. Um, as I've said, there's already something on language, the way that he um, uses words and thinks that coaches are communicators. Um, but between all of these chapters, I, I sort of weave the story of, of Leeds United season. So um, I'm using that as the, as the sort of framework of the book and um, using quotes from his inaugural press conference to sort of tie everything together. So yeah, hopefully it'll be out by the end of the year. Um, and hopefully it'll be interesting for people who aren't just Leeds fans as well. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to cover as much of the biograph- biographical stuff as possible, but I'm just maybe structuring it in a slightly different way. Well, thank you very much for coming on, John. I think the perfect ending for that book, and correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, if you go up this season, would that be mm. the best ending? It's interesting you should say that because a lot of a lot of what I'm a lot of what I'm getting at with with Bielsa is that he's a sort of he is a complex individual, and he realizes that um, sometimes things like winning or losing can be can be mm-hmm. inverted and and actually the winning can be harder to deal with than than losing um so i don't know i think it will it will work fine for the book if they don't go up because it will sort of it will it will sort of um fit quite comfortably with that tragic aspect of his life which is <laughs> which is that you know you're not you're not simply trying to do things in order to get um trophies you're not doing stuff in order you're not simply playing football in order to be the best team um, but you are doing that to be the best team that you can be. Uh, and so a lot of the time that comes at the expense of things like promotion um, or winning trophies. So, I mean, obviously I think he's he would be gutted not to win the, the, the um, or to get up into the Premier League, of course. But at the same time, I think he's he's aware enough that, that were he to work leads to go up, that he would be, um, he would realise that there's a sort of emptiness that comes with that as well in certain scenarios. And so, um, for me, it's it's interesting finding out that what it is about about that sort of scenario that will um, actually make him think in that way, if that makes any sort of sense. But um, yeah, I think in both in both ways, it will be it will be fine for the book because if he wins, then it will almost be like you know this is the this is the actual seal of approval for Bielsa's um, um, legacy. But if he doesn't, it will be like, and this is what Marcelo Bielsa's career is always like. It's always a, about this doing uh, brilliantly, but then falling short at the final hurdle. And, and, and what does that tell us about him? So yeah, it's gone, it's gone far enough this season that I'm not too worried now. There was times in the season where I worried you'll just walk away and it probably wouldn't really work for the book. <laughs> but at this point now, obviously I want Leeds to go up. Obviously he wants Leeds to go up, but um, I do think there'll be there's a, there'll be an interesting aspect if it doesn't happen that way too. Well, John, thank you very much for coming on today. Where can people find you if they're interested in uh, following you know the story of the book or just following you in general? Yeah, so the best place to go is Twitter, as always. Um, I'm at John underscore McKenzie, and that's John without an H and McKenzie with an A between the M and the C. Um, if you go to my Twitter page, I'm, the pinned tweet there is um, a newsletter that I'm 
that I bring out weekly, which I'm, I'm trying to use as a as a, a means of forcing myself to to write regularly uh, outside of the book, but also um, as as a means of it telling people how the book's going and, and sort of giving a flavor of what it's like to actually go through the price, process of writing a book. So if that sounds interesting to you as well, go over there and you can subscribe there. Aston Villa play Leeds on Sunday. Me and Danny will be back in a usual Holt cast to cover that and the Millwall match, which took place on Easter Monday. You can find me at Gemma Rushton. You can find the podcast at 7500 Holt. We'll be back on the weekend to cover, hopefully, another Aston Villa win, hopefully making that 11 in a row. So have a good night and we'll see you later. Goodbye.